Sadness happens. Sadness happens. It's part of life in a broken world. We all experience it in different ways to varying degrees. I remember being maybe seven or eight years old and watching my mom sit on our couch at home in tears for days on end. And I was too young to know what was, what was going on. But I remember asking her, Mom, why are you sad? And she looked at me and she said, Matt, sometimes people cry and it takes a long time to stop. Sadness happens. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it hangs over us like a cloud. And for those of you who've wrestled with long, difficult seasons of sadness, you know the difficulty that comes with it. So today, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about what it means to be sad and how the sadness of Jesus actually shows us the love of Jesus that he has for us. But before we dive into that, I want to just recognize once again that, that it is Father's Day. And, and I'll say this, even dads get sad. Dads get sad. But I want to make sure that dad doesn't get sad today. So to help make sure that the dad in your life doesn't get sad today, I put together what I think is the definitive list of things that make for a sad dad. And I share this with you so that you can avoid these things today, so to keep the dad in your life happy. This is the official sad dad list. You might want to get something out, jot this down, avoid these things, avoid these conversations so that dad can be happy today, all right? So here we go. Number one, the number one thing that makes dad sad, high gas prices makes dad sad. Now, it, it, it seems like a contradiction here in Houston because he likes the price of an oil a barrel to be as high as possible, but he wants what he pays at the pump to be as low as possible. He's working against his own self-interest here. But there's, there are fewer things that dads love more than to complain about gas prices. Another thing that dads don't like makes dads sad, overcooked meat. Don't overcook the meat. Dads like to review the doneness of the meat and how they did. I asked for medium rare. I got well done. We're never going there again. Don't make dad mad. Don't overcook the meat. <laughs> he loves to evaluate it. Other thing that makes dad mad, being awoken from a nap. Don't wake up dad from a nap. Leave him alone. Like my kid, I'll fall asleep often on Sunday, Sunday afternoons. I'll fall asleep on this couch that we have in our front room. And I will lay down on the couch. I'll, fa I'll fall asleep and I'll hear my wife say to my son, don't bother dad two seconds later. He's standing next to me, just breathing over my face. <sighs> and Lisa will say, Jack, leave him alone. And he'll be like, I didn't do anything. He's screaming it right over top of my face. Don't wake dad up from a nap. You know, double clicking on that one. He hates being awoken from a nap by someone who's trying to turn off the TV. Don't do that. Don't do that because you know why? He's watching that. Don't turn that off. There's another thing that dad doesn't like. Don't slam doors. He doesn't like that, unless it's him doing it. Another thing dad doesn't like, don't mess with the thermostat. Don't, don't touch the nest, the ecobee, the old traditional, whatever you've got, don't touch it. It makes him mad unless he's doing it. He's the only one that gets to mess with it. The other thing that makes dad mad, I lost my list here, hold on. The other thing that makes dad mad is moving the car seat. Moving the car seat from one car to the next. When you're getting ready, you got small kids, you're getting ready to go somewhere, and it's like, hey, babe, can you move the car seat? No, this is Houston. If I go move the car seat from this car to the next car, it's a whole workout. I'm going to sweat through my shirt. I'm going to have to take a shower. We're going to be two hours late. Just take the car with the car seat in it. 
And then the last thing that dad doesn't like is when he's got, he's rocking a brand new pair of white New Balance shoes. Dads love the New Balance shoes with the socks that go up to here and the khaki cargo pants. And then one of the kids comes along and steps on the toe of the brand new white New Balance shoes. That's a way to make dad mad. So let's all just agree, we're not going to do any of these things, okay? We're not going to bring these things up so the dads in our life don't have to get sad today. Now, if you happen to be sad, dad or not, this sermon is for you. We're continuing a series, actually we're ending a series today, that we've called All the Feels, where we're looking at emotions. We live in a world that says you are what you feel, except the scriptures tell us the opposite. Uh, What the Christian faith teaches is that you are not what you feel, you are who God says you are and what Christ has done for you. We have emotions, but our emotions don't have to have us. And so what people of faith are called to do is interpret their emotions through the lens of that truth. And rather than be controlled by our emotions, we steward them, we manage them in light of this truth. And so we've talked about some of the biggest emotions that we have, the ones that are really tempting to allow to take over our lives. We talked about anxiety, we've talked about anger, and today we talk sadness. And and I've got a really simple message for you derived from one moment in Jesus' life. You heard me read about it just a minute ago. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they're siblings. And they're also friends of Jesus. Uh, We're led to believe that the four of them knew each other, loved each other, hung out together. Lazarus falls ill while Jesus is out roaming around Jerusalem and the outer parts of the world at that point. And he's, he's teaching, and he's, he's gathering up a crowd, and he's doing miracles. He's away from his friends. And while he's away from his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Lazarus falls ill, and Lazarus dies. And then Jesus shows up to his friends who are mourning and his other friend, Lazarus, who's passed away. And it's, it's really the first and, and probably almost only moment that we see Jesus confronted with, with sadness and grief that has to affect him on a personal level. I mean, we see him sad, we see him upset in other moments, but this is, this is unique in that this is Jesus confronted with the death of a dear friend and the grief and agony of good friends. And so in this moment, we get to see two things. We get to see how Jesus deals with sadness. But remember, Jesus is God in flesh. And so what we see in here is not only how Jesus deals with sadness, but because Jesus is God in flesh, it it teaches us a bit about how God sees our collective struggle with sadness. And that's really what I want to look at. What can we understand about how God sees our sadness through how Jesus deals with his Let's look again at the text. Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. John mentions it three times in three verses. I don't know if you caught it, but three times in three verses, John mentions this, Jesus saw. Jesus saw the sadness of Mary. Jesus saw the sadness of the Jewish community. And then Jesus is invited to go and see the sad reality that Lazarus has died. 
And that's not an accident on John's part. John wants us to know that Jesus sees the sadness of the people. Jesus sees the sadness. And remember, Jesus is God in flesh, so what does this tell us about God? Jesus, God, sees your sadness. He does. And you might think, well, well what does that matter? Oh, it, it matters the world. When Lisa and I were first married, you know, we were, we were just figuring out how to live in such close proximity to one another. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with, with any, any women in my life, other, than, other women in my life other than my mom. I grew up with boys, like, all around me, my, bro- my younger brother, my older brother, my dad. And so, like, living in such close proximity uh, to a woman was, was very interesting for me in the first few years. <laughs> One of the things I struggled with was, was when she would get upset about something or uh, emotional about something or bothered by something, I, I would get frustrated, like immediately. My, my immediate response was frustration because I, I wrongly thought that, that her sadness or her struggle or her frustration was my problem to solve. That because she was not okay, that that was being presented to me as as something that I needed to solve, that I needed to fix. And so I would get frustrated going, oh, no, I've got to fix this. I've got to fix this. And what I discovered over the course of years, years of being married, eventually discovered, is that what my wife wanted was not for me to fix anything. When she was feeling things, what she wanted was for me to notice what she was going through. What she wanted was to be seen and to be understood. She she didn't want me to fix it. She just didn't want to be alone in it. She was fully capable of dealing with what she was dealing with on her own. She just wanted to know that I saw it and I understood it. Jesus sees your sadness. The creator of the universe knows what you're going through because he sees it. Let's keep reading. Jumping now to verse 34. They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jewish people said, see how he loved him. This is the shortest verse of the Bible. I don't know if you knew that. It's the shortest verse of the Bible. Jesus wept. And it's potentially one of the most potent of verses we, we get in this portion of the story the truth that Jesus not only sees the sadness of those around him, but he, he feels their sadness. And so since Jesus is God in flesh, what else do we know about how God interacts not just with, with the sadness of those who are mourning Lazarus, but all of our sadness is that God sees our sadness and our struggle, and God feels with us our sadness and our struggle. I didn't used to be the kind of guy who would cry, like at the drop of a hat, until I had kids and they ruined it for me. (laughs) When I became a dad, all of a sudden, like if I see anything that involves a dad or kids, like on television, like I'm I'm done. I'm I'm a total wreck. Case in point, like not too long ago, I was watching like a YouTube video and then an ad popped up in the middle of the YouTube video for Disney World. 
And the ad for Disney World was this dad dropping his daughter off at college at her dorm room, and he's, he's kind of letting her go into the college world, and he's waving goodbye to her, and he's got tears in his eyes. And then across the front of the screen, after they show some glimpses of her as a child at Disney World, they cut back to the father saying goodbye to his daughter, and on the screen it says, because they're only little for a little while. I was done, absolutely done, like a wreck on the floor in tears. My wife walks in and she's like, who hurt you? And I'm like, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse hurt me. I was feeling it. You may not uh, be a follower of Jesus yet. I don't, want, I don't want to assume about everybody who's here, but you may not be here as a follower of Jesus one of the things you need to know is that there are many distinctions between Christianity and every other religion in the world. But one of the most significant distinctions between Christianity and every other religion is this belief that Jesus Christ is uh, the Hebrew word Emmanuel, God with us. And what that means is that he's not only like physically present here in this world with us and taking on flesh and living in this, in this world with us, but, but he is with us in that he feels like us and with you know, every religion will agree that God is. What makes Christianity different, among many other things, what makes Christianity different is that Christianity says that God feels. He feels sadness. Jesus has felt the sting of loss, of pain. So he not only sees you, but he feels sadness with you. You know, when we, when we get stuck in sadness, uh, there, are, there are lies that come in that, that try to convince us that we need to stay there. A couple of the lies are these. Like, we, we're told the lie that, that nobody notices. Well, Jesus notices, he sees. Uh, the other lie that comes in is that nobody knows, nobody understands. Well, Jesus understands. Jesus is here feeling sadness. He, he cries, he weeps. He feels it with you. But there's more. We keep going. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. We have more than a God who sees our sadness and feels it with us. But what Jesus did is Jesus then saw the source of their sadness, the death of Lazarus, and he solved it. He confronted it. He, he spoke into death and he, he undid it. He took away the source of their sadness. And, and, and you got to really kind of let, let the text paint the picture for you. It, it says that, that Jesus himself was weeping and crying. He was weeping and crying, seeing his dead friend, weeping and crying because he's seeing the grief in the eyes of his, his, his friends. And then he's also weeping because he sees the hopelessness in the face of death in the hearts of everybody else. And I imagine he's also playing the tape forward a bit, being God and knowing what's going to happen to him. He knows at some point he's going to die and all these same people are going to be weeping over him. All of it overcomes him. His eyes are filled with tears and then it says he stands in front of the tomb and he says with tears still in his eyes and probably a crack in his voice, he says, 
rolled away the tomb. And they're like, we really shouldn't do that. He's been in there a couple of days. We haven't invented the processes that will keep this body from smelling yet. And he's like, doesn't matter. Roll it away. And then it says in the original text, screaming at the top of his voice. And again, tears in his eyes, a break in his voice. And he screams, Lazarus, come out. Himself weeping and crying. And what happens? Lazarus lives. And he walks out of the tomb. And what Jesus has done in that moment, he, he's, not only, he's not only seen their sadness, he's not only felt their sadness, but now in that moment, Jesus has solved their sadness. They were sad for one reason, the death of Lazarus. He undid it just by speaking into it. And now you might think, well, well, good for them. What does that have to do with me? Well, what do you think, what do you think Jesus' own death and resurrection was? Jesus' death and resurrection was him solving the source of all of our sadness. Let me give you a mediocre analogy. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I went on a date night, and we, were, um, we took cooking lessons. And as we were taking the cooking lessons, uh, they taught me a new way to cut an onion so that you don't get tears in your eyes. And now, this might not be new information to you, but I, I'm, I, I don't know many things. I know there are 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, and that's all I know. That's all the things I know. You may already know this, but, but what I found out is that when it comes to a big white onion, if you actually take the knife and you cut out the center of the onion and you remove the core of it and pull it out, cut around it, that that's the part that actually contains the oils. And if you cut that out and set it to the side and never actually cut through it, you won't ever have tears as you cut an onion again. I did not know this until I actually was shown this and I did this. Now here's, here's the analogy back to what we're talking about. When Jesus dies on the cross and then rises from the tomb, what, what he's doing is, he is he's getting to the core of the thing that causes all of the tears. And he's attacking it, he's confronting it, and he's removing it. He's, he's removing the thing that causes the sadness. He's confronting it, he's solving it. I, I realize that, that there are lots of different reasons why, why there is sadness overwhelming your life right now. I realize that, that your, your kids don't call as often as you'd like them to, or your body is not healing in the way in which you're, you've been praying and praying for it to, or, or that, that nephew that you've been walking with and being a mentor with uh, continues to fall back into addiction, or, or your marriage fell apart just like your last marriage fell apart and there was sadness in you. I get it. But what people of faith understand is that those, those surface-level traumas and tragedies though they are, in fact, traumas and difficulties and tragedies, that there is something underneath it. Like, if you peel back the layers, there is something else at the core. And the thing that's at the core that ultimately then bubbles up and all the difficulties that make us cry, the thing that's at the core is our collective dysfunction that we call sin. The thing that's at the core is this thing we're all trying to outrun and ignore called death. The thing that's at the core is the fact that we're all born separated from this God that we desperately need to know. Like, those are the three things at the center. And what Christ has done in dying on the cross and rising from the grave is he attacked that. In his death, 
he forgave sin. It's no longer an issue. In his rise from the grave, he defeated death. It will no longer defeat you. In rising from the grave, he has earned a way for you to have a restored and full and complete relationship with the Father. He's attacked it, confronted it, and solved all of it. And so now, though we still cry, though we have sadness, we, we anchor ourselves in this truth that Jesus Christ has cut it out at its root. And though we weep, it will be for a moment. And though we struggle, it is temporary. And though it is sad, it won't last forever. It will not own me or get the last word for me because Jesus has confronted the root of the issue, and conquered it for me. And that's the truth that we shout into the sadness and at the lies that come at us. Jesus sees and he feels and he solved it. Now, as you live this life and you deal with sadness, knowing these truths that Jesus sees and he feels and he solves it for you, I want to give you just a handful of like, practical things that you can apply in light of these truths to your own continued wrestling with sadness or that you can encourage other people in your life as they confront sadness. You can, you can point them toward. And it really comes down to, to three quick things. Here, here's what your sadness needs. Now knowing this, here's what your sadness needs. Your sadness needs friends. Your sadness needs a limit, and your sadness needs a focus. Remember I said that there are certain lies that come to us when we're sad. Lies that say, you know, no one sees you, no one understands, no one can solve this. Well, what you need are friends because lies grow in loneliness. Loneliness feeds those lies and lets them take root. And what you need are people around you who can speak truth to those lies and keep you from getting overwhelmed by them. Look, when Martha was, was about to lose her brother, she reached out to Jesus. She was sad. She reached out to Jesus. Jesus heard that Lazarus died. He reached out to his disciples and took them with him to go and see the dead Lazarus. Look, when you're sad, you need people. If Jesus needed people, you need people. When you're sad, just don't be alone. Tell somebody. Hold on to these truths and tell somebody. Your sadness also needs a limit. It's very, very tempting for us when we're sad to just let it overwhelm our life and, and be this lens through which we look at absolutely everything. But your sadness really, really needs a limit to it. Now, what I mean by that is not that you should just like you know, suck it up, buttercup, and get over it. I'm not saying that. What, what I think, what I counsel people on, and what I say to myself is, look, set aside time every day to feel your sadness. I think you should, if you're really struggling with something, if you're really, really wrestling with something that's just got you overwhelmed and sad, I think you should set aside time, whatever amount of time that you need, to sit there and feel it, to cry over it, get frustrated with it, wrestle with it, pray through it, set aside time to do that, but also then set a finish line. Maybe your drive home from work is the time when you get sad. But you have to tell yourself, look, when I, when I pull into the driveway, I'm going to set this aside and I'm going to be present with my kids. Or when this timer goes off, 
I'm going to try my best to, to like wipe my eyes and live the life that God has called me to live. It needs a limit. Because remember, you now know that it doesn't own you because Jesus has defeated it at its root. So, so then live as if that's true and know that you can set some boundaries around your grief. It doesn't have to, and your sadness, it doesn't have to overwhelm you. It doesn't have to own your whole existence. Put a limit on it. Feel it, but put a finish line in. And then you need the right focus. Hold on to this truth that Jesus Christ sees you. You're not alone. He feels you. And he's conquered all this for you. Stay focused on who he is and what he's done. And as you feel the sadness, keep your heart and mind anchored in that truth so that you don't kind of wash away out into the ocean of sadness and struggle. You need a focus upon Christ. Rather than focus here, all turned in on yourself. We focus here in our sadness, on Jesus. Robert Earl Keane is a singer and songwriter that your dad would really like if he doesn't already. Those of you who know Robert Earl Keane, he's a Houston-based singer, songwriter, and he's in, I think, the Houston Songwriter Hall of Fame. He writes, he writes really truthful, really honest, really witty songs. Uh, his, his lyrics are always really, really robust. And he wrote a song in 1997 called Undone about a guy who hits rock bottom and who has every reason to be overwhelmed with sadness. Listen to the picture he paints here at the end of this song. He says, now the storms are coming and the skies turn black. It's too late now. You can't turn back. Lightning strikes on the telephone wire. You're drunk as a skunk and your shack's on fire. The wife took the baby and the other two kids. The dogs are a-howling and the chickens are dead. It's a bad day. It's your last night out and you're going to have fun. They'll read it in the papers when you come undone. Sometimes life is awful. Sometimes life is a Robert Earl Keene song. Sometimes you get overwhelmed with sadness and it's understandable. Sometimes you hit an emotional rock bottom. Let me tell you, that's okay. You know why? Because Jesus is the rock at the bottom. That's what we believe. And focus on this. He sees you. He feels it with you. And he solved it for you. It will not last forever. It's going to be okay. Hold on to that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your son Jesus has come into this world and he's experienced all of the things that we experience. I wish that there was something that I could preach, that I could say that would help us just kind of avoid sadness altogether or immediately snap out of it if we're struggling with it, but that's just not possible. I know that if your son experienced it, how much more so will we? But we ask, Father, that when we do feel sadness, 
that you would not let us be lost in it, but, but lift our eyes to be focused on the things that are true because of Jesus, even as we struggle with it, that we are seen, that, that he feels it with us, and that he has conquered it at its root, and that it will not get the last word for us. Help us to hold on to that. And Father, for my friends who find themselves swept up in sadness or with a dark, dark cloud hanging over them, we pray, Lord, that you would stir within them uh, the need and the desire to reach out and, and reach out to friends and that you would surround them with the people and the resources that can serve as your hands and feet to meet them in their sadness and help them lift them out of despair. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.